You're listening to episode 221, The Real Food Movement with Hillary Boynton. If we had that certain amount of gratitude for how miraculous we are and that we get this one and only life and this one and only body as far as we know. So your body, I say to the kids at school, like your body really is your temple. And, you know, there's nothing more special than taking care of it. And I think when you, when you do feel good, I think most people don't know what it's like, feels like to feel good, but when you feel good and you have energy and you're out and about, it's like such a gift. This is the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Today is Friday, December 18th, 2020. If you are more fortunate than others, it is better to build a longer table than a taller fence. Don't know the source of that quote. I tried to find it. So if you do, please let me know. You can email me, tutor at danceoflife.com. I'd love to know because I've heard that plenty of times. And it's so appropriate for today because we're talking about the healing power of food, of community, of tradition. You know, we are hardwired to be our healthiest when we're with others, when we're eating good food, when we're sharing, when we're talking and laughing and all this tribal stuff that we grew up with thousands of years. And unfortunately, it's it's kind of disintegrating a little bit. Uh, my guest today is going to bring it all together for us, though, because she is super passionate about sharing the power of food, sharing the healing power of food with those in her community. Her name is Hillary Boynton, and she is a certified holistic health counselor with a Bachelor's of Psychology from the University of Virginia. She's trained at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Heal Your Gut Cookbook, and the head of nutrition services at the Manzanita School in Topanga, California. After Hillary saw the power of food as medicine with her own family, she passionately dove into the challenge of solving school lunches. After years of frustration, she decided it was well time to roll up her sleeves and become the lunch lady herself. Returning to her children's school to an ancestral way of eating has eliminated dietary confusion and changed the lives of many kids on all fronts. Hillary is the founder of School of Lunch, an online educational community, and the host of the Lunch Leader Training Academy. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about food as medicine and how she created such a successful program with these kids, teaching them about healthy habits, how to choose healthy food, how to eat healthy, why food is important, and other aspects to the whole experience. It's not just about the quality of food, but, you know, being with other people, sharing, talking, laughing, communicating, tradition, uh, you know, all these things are truly an invaluable aspect of being happy and healthy. If you want to get in touch with Hillary, uh, it's at School of Lunch. It's on Instagram. Or you can check out her 
uh, Heal Your Gut Cookbook if you want to go to www.thehealyourgutcookbook.com. And I'll be posting that on the show notes episode for this. You can go to danceoflife.com and slash podcast for the show notes and links that we mentioned here. Now, there is one more thing I want to mention with this episode really quick, and it's the elephant in the room. Once you start listening, you know what I'm talking about, but the quality of my voice is not the same as it usually is, and there's a reason for that, because I was running around like a headless chicken that day, and unfortunately, my mic wasn't plugged in, my headset wasn't plugged in throughout this amazing conversation, you know, and it happens maybe once or twice a year, and it's just like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to recreate this conversation, so, you know, thankfully... Uh, I don't talk very much in this interview. Hillary's a goldmine of information. She has plenty to say. So uh, her voice sounds great, but mine just sounds a little bit, you know, like I'm in the bathroom or something like that. So because the mic wasn't plugged in, so I was going through my laptop. So anyway, I just thought I'd let you guys know because it's, you know, it's a little inconsistent from my usual quality. But like I said, I'm not talking too much. Uh, Thankfully, you know, there's no damage there. It's just Hillary. She's guiding it away for us. So, hope you enjoy, and we're just about to dive into this episode, guys. Make sure you subscribe and share it with anyone that needs to hear this message today about food, about healing your life with food, living a healthier life. So important. Thank you so much for being here. All right, let's do this. Real Food Movement with Hilary Boynton. Well, you wrote a, a book, Heal Your Gut, right? Yes, you wrote the, yep, the Heal Your Gut Cookbook. You started the School of Lunch uh, Farm to Table program. That's pretty cool. How did you get started with all this? Were you always like a foodie or into cooking or you just kind of... You know, it was, it? Like, I, it was a healing journey uh, that ultimately brought me to food and my passion for learning more about real food and how food really is medicine. And, um, it started, uh, really when I healed my son of severe eczema head to toe, he was, um, I always like get tripped up a little bit on my story. Cause I'm like, I've told it so many times and it feels so long. So I just like tried to What's fast forward a little, <laughs> a little bit, but I guess I could start by saying I was like that kid in high school that was fat free for 10 years because I fell for that in the 90s went off to college and was like a a competitive athlete and you know taxing my body to the brink but then replenishing with total junk and um and just not taking care of myself but I thought I had the answers and that fat was the devil and that I was just eating you know whatever that didn't have fat but really had probably some deeper eating issues too, you know, as an athlete, so I had like strong thighs and I wanted to be this like, you know, tall, skinny. I just wish I could have grown like five inches, you know, but that's. How tall know, are you? Five, four and three quarters. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got three quarters. So anyway, I like really didn't take care of myself, although I thought I was, but, um, and then I got married at 25 and at 26, um, got pregnant and then miscarried right away. And that was a huge shock to me. I didn't really even know what that was. I didn't know why it happened. And um, it was so devastating. And then I went on to have three years of infertility and four miscarriages total. And so it was like a real devastating time of my life. And I just was like, why at 26 can I not have babies? And all my friends were having babies. And so it was just like, 
um, really just a, a terrible time where I felt like I was walking around with this black cloud over my head and, and I didn't have any answers. You know, it was just like, oh, well, your eggs aged faster than your body. And, you know, I would go, I went to fertility treatments and ultimately I ended up um, with triplets uh, through wow. fertility treatment. And so I was all of a sudden blessed with three babies. So three years of infertility, all of a sudden I had three beautiful babies. Um, and then my, and then I thought maybe we should have one more when they were three. I was like, you know, thinking like, it would be nice to just see what it's like to have one. And I'm from a big family. So I was like, you know, we'll try one more time and thinking I'd have to go back to fertility treatments. And then all of a sudden, boom, I was pregnant on my own and um, thought for sure it wouldn't stick and I would miscarry, but he stuck. And so I know looking back, I know stress ultimately played a huge role in my infertility as well. I think the longer mm -hmm. it went on, the more I just was like, so upset about it. And, um, and that just was wreaking havoc on my body. So then my little fourth baby was born and he was covered head, head to toe in eczema. And just like, I was a wreck because I had these three, three-year-olds and I wasn't sleeping very much. And then I had this scratching baby that would keep me up all night. And um, you know, it was like coffee in the morning, glass of wine at night, you know, just that typical mom trying to like hold it all together and survive. And then when he was six months old, I found out I was pregnant with my fifth baby. Wow. So then all of a sudden it was just like really bad. And, um, and, and at that point I decided I wanted to try and change the school lunches. I don't know why I discovered Jamie Oliver and Alice Waters. It was just like, Oh wow, I got to jump on this train. And, you know, but it was like, it was, you know, I think, it's always been a passion of mine, you know, like just to, even when I was seeking out the wrong information, it was like, I thought it was right. And that like, I wanted to design my own major of nutrition and fitness mm. in college. I was just always into it. So I met a woman um, through trying to change the school lunches who told me about the Weston A. Price Foundation. Uh, and I, I had no idea what she was talking about. And ultimately she, um, she told me about raw milk for my eczema baby. And I was just like, well, I'll try anything at this point. I didn't know any, I'd never heard of raw milk. I was raised on skim milk and, um, and yet she and her family had this little access to this Amish co-op and this dairy in Massachusetts where we lived and they would drive around and pick up um, kind of underground little system we had of getting raw dairy. And sure enough, within like, weeks or my, I feel like maybe it was a few months he was like completely healed and so wow. I had him on raw milk and cod liver oil and totally healed and every day I'd been through everything you know every doctor every even what was the effects. reason for that like how what how does that work I think it was the healthy fats and the good healthy bacteria and mm. um and that just like reset his his gut wow. and so um so that was sort of this like aha moment that clicked for me that, wow, food just healed my child. And no doctor had ever talked to me about nutrition through my infertility, through the eczema, through any of my, um, you know, issues growing up with sports and stuff. Nobody ever really talked about food and, and how that fuels you. So and heals you. So then I just became a super passionate mama of just like, when I went back to school to the uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition, I was just like, anything I can do from home. Um, actually, I wanted to go when the triplets were babies. And my husband at the time was like, are you crazy? Like, you cannot leave me to go back to school. And so then when it went online, the program went online and I went back and got, I wanted some sort of certificate to say that I could like, you know, tell people <laughs> how to be healthy. And so I started teaching cooking classes out of my home and just helping as many people as I could. And I dove into the Weston A. Price Foundation big time. I went to all their conferences and 
um, became super knowledgeable about traditional foods as medicine and ancestral wisdom and was really trying to mm. bring that back into the discussion with, with moms in my area. And then um, we have a, one of my triplets has epilepsy. And so after healing my son, I thought, oh, gosh, like there's got to be an answer for her and food must be able to help her. And I was familiar with the GAPS diet, which is the gut and psychology syndrome, which is created by Natasha Campbell McBride and or Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, I should say, who's a neurologist and nutritionist. And she um, had spoken at the Western Price Conferences a few times and had mentioned epilepsy. So I sort of dove into the GAPS world and um, we had a medical intuitive tell us that our whole family could use GAPS and heal our guts. And mm. so I dove in and um, started the diet. And at that time, I was still teaching classes out of my home. And a woman that was taking my class also was on the GAPS diet. And she happened to be a photographer as well. And we were both sort of like scrounging the internet for like any inspiration or recipes. Like they're just, it was really new and there was nothing really out there. And her book was super informative, but not very inspiring. And it's this two-year diet protocol that's pretty intense. Yeah. So it's just like, we're both like, ah. And so she said, we need to write a book about this. And so we embarked on this journey and got a publishing deal and, um, and just dove right in and wrote this cookbook that now I look back, I'm like, how did we even do that? But it just was this magical moment where we had kind of the space, the summer that it was able to, and we were both in it, we were in the diet. So it was mm -hmm. like, so um, current to what we were, you know, it wasn't like I was five What's years the, out of the diet. What makes the diet specific exactly? What are the principles behind it? So, well, it's based off of the specific carbohydrate diet, which is Elaine Gottschall's work. But um, it's it's about healing and sealing your gut. So it's going back to basically like a, a elimination diet and taking out all the potential offenders, even down to like certain vegetables that um, are fibrous, like the stalks of broccoli and cauliflower can be um, fibrous enough that they're feeding the bacteria in your gut. So you really wipe, you take out everything. You're kind of in the beginning, starting from just bone broth and certain vegetables and meats cooked in the broth, very like nourishing and soothing for the, the intestinal lining. And it allow, and you move through stages where you slowly add things back in so that you can see whether you're able to move forward in the diet or you have to maintain or go back. Um, so it really gives you that baseline so you know what works for you and what doesn't mm -hmm. and of course now you know everybody's so different that what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another so it really teaches you to tune in to your individual body and and check in and see so but it's the book is laid out so it has the the healing stages of the protocol and then the full gaps diet which is much like we eat now which where you can incorporate more foods and it's just really the way everybody could eat. It's just, you know, beautiful um, meats and vegetables. And it does, you can add in legumes. And now eventually we've, um, I mean, after you graduate, but we've added in sourdough that I make myself. And, um, and of course we have some beans and legumes. And I grew so, up on bread and I, I don't eat bread anymore, but man, seeing that video of your sourdough, I was like, oh my God, oh, that looks so good. <laughs> I know. Well, all bread is not created equal, right? That's so, true. Yeah. Um, so I swore like if we ever went back to bread that I would learn to make my own sourdough. Uh, but it's, it's tricky. Does that, I mean, even, well, what would, does that uh, like with the sourdough, does it have issues with the gluten? Is there, or is the sourdough well, like fermented and kind of make it different? 
Yeah, it's a long fermented sourdough, so it's breaking down the gluten, so it's way more easy on your digestion. Mm-hmm. And we use only like um, locally grown, freshly milled grains. So mm-hmm. we're, you know, really conscious about how we source our grains. Uh, but even now, you know, it's it's just so interesting with our agricultural system and you have mm-hmm. to really be a detective, which is a yeah. shame. It's really a shame because I just feel for all these um, I just feel for, for humanity. Like I just have been feeling like heavy lately. Like, how did we get to this point where it's so messed up? You know, it's just really Everything requires backwards. so many considerations. I mean, it's, it's really wild and you can't rely on the front of the packaging because no. it's all bullshit. I mean, you see all these yeah. words like, Oh, it's natural, natural or cage free <laughs> yeah. and even organic. Like, I mean, it's, I did an interview with our egg farmer and, and it's just so eye opening, right? She, I mean, they really, and the farmers really have, who are doing it right. They have to really like, like educate the customer because people can say so many different things and, and whatever looks appealing is what kind of people gravitate towards. So unless you're an educated consumer, you might not mm-hmm. choose really what are the best eggs and or knowing the value of what you're getting for a dollar more, you know? So anyway, well, what do you think that are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to like shopping for food or I guess just going to the grocery store and learning how to make good decisions, you know, about what you put in your body. I mean, that's a whole wide world right there, but yeah, I guess just when you go shopping, what are some of the mistakes that you see people doing or that you think people aren't aware of maybe. Yeah. I think being dependent on, well, being dependent on packaged, packaged processed foods and Mm -hmm. even prepared foods. Usually they're, those are the main offenders where they're filled with um, rancid vegetable oils that are, I believe are like the silent killer that people just have no idea about vegetable oils because they've been, um, you know, saturated fats have been demonized. And, and then there's these like these hidden oils that kind of sound good. Like maybe people think soybean oil is good or uh, sunflower, safflower or canola or organic, whatever, you know, it sounds okay. Cause it's a vegetable oil, but it's really, they're just not, they're not good for us at all. So um, I think when you, when you can say no to the packaged process things, and again, even the prepared foods, a lot of them have, most of them have canola oil in them. So um, when you, when you learn to navigate the outside of the grocery store, even better, your farmer's markets and your local food purveyors that are doing things right. If you really do scratch the surface, wherever you live, usually there are people that are doing pretty amazing things wherever you live. I found that there are a lot of really innovative foodies out there that, um, you know, whether they're making fermented foods or raising chickens or eggs that are right down the road, or you can find a um you know, a half a cow that you can purchase from a local farmer and get an extra freezer. So those are the things that you you start to learn. Whether there's a raw milk supplier in your area, it's illegal in a lot of states. But mm. um, you know, sometimes there are ways that you can access things. So it's it's really that the customer has to start inquiring and and knowing the food system and what really really just like taking some interest in what we're putting in our bodies and like how I think we're just so disconnected. It doesn't, Mm. it doesn't connect that like those Doritos that you're eating or Takis or whatever. I see like all these kids eating that. No Doritos uh, trees. Yeah. Like they're affecting you on a cellular 
yeah. level. And of course, kids and stuff are all invincible, but it's a lot of parents that are just like, you know, pop, pop, pop. They just pop things in the, in the, uh, you know, in their cart. And this is what my kids like. And the kids are often dictating what to buy and the marketing yeah. to children is unbelievable. So again, it's, it's the parents have to really wake up and say, wow, huh. You know, and, and then decide to, to start to shift. You don't have to do it all overnight, but you have to take those baby steps to really start to look into your local, to the food system. And I, and I said that to somebody the other day that I'm running a class with. And she said, I don't think people even know what that term is. And I'm like, what term? And she said, food system and local Mm -hmm. food system. So just starting to, to realize that we have, there's a system, right? That we were just talking about systems. There's, um, and there's big, big, big systems in place. And then there's the little guys. And someone said to me the other day that, Going small is the biggest thing you can do. Hmm. So really turning, you know, to your people right around you is the best thing I think you can do to start to educate yourself. I saw something now they have uh, something called like imperfect foods or, or it's like a service where you can oh. get. Oh, yeah. The imperfect produce. Yeah. Yeah. Impo- yeah. I don't know how they exactly source it. I think it's like stuff that just didn't grow in the right size or something like that. But I yeah. would get it for super cheap. Yes. And it doesn't it, like it's like yeah. or ugly fruits or ugly. Yeah. fruits. Yeah, they have that, too. But, you know, there's a friend of mine who's from Mexico, I believe. And um, she was saying growing up, you know, those were the only fruits and vegetables that they got. And the, because they're the most delicious, they're like yeah. just at that perfect you know, ripening spot. And it's just like the taste is so perfect. And, and, um, and they weren't so set on having like, you know, this beautiful, perfect tomato. Um, and which is where we are here in America, you know, it's like everything has to look beautiful or else mm. it's bad, you know, quote unquote. So That's we have to kind of get away from that as well. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how we've come to a certain point, I used to tutor kids. I remember, gosh, way back when, and I'll never forget, I was tutoring this little girl and it was like break time or something. And she, she had like this bag of like sugar noodles or something, you know, it was just this disgusting snack, but she was, you know, she was like, what, I don't know, eight, nine years old, 10 years old or something. And she's just pounding this stuff away. I'm like, man, you know, for an adult, that's a huge glycemic impact just to be mm-hmm. chomping down those not you know let alone a child you know who's like you know a third of the body weight so it's just crazy how we've come to the point where that's like the standard you know I mean how do you how do you shift that how do you shift I mean I guess you're doing that with your um, school of lunch program which is really cool maybe you can talk about that but yeah. how do you shift <clears throat> the perspectives because I think kids you know kids when they, it's all a learned behavior, you know, to, to, to eat Doritos is not something you were born with. You just learn it and you acquire it and it's, you know, stimulating and to some degree. And so if you unlearn that behavior, you learn to associate, you know, pleasure to like the experience of eating good food, raw food, mm. whatever, you know, it's a whole experience that you can learn. And so the same thing is with the Doritos, you can unlearn them, you know? And yeah. I, I think know. that that's exactly it right there. I mean, it's always my million dollar question. Like, how do we wake these kids up before the wake up call, but, um, or the parents, but because yeah, a lot of them object. I mean, like I could just see like a lot of them be like, yeah, that's nasty. I'd rather have my Doritos or something, you know, cause they're yeah. already so desensitized. Yeah. Well, how it's the cross ex- that bridge? Yeah. experience. It's the experience. I think like I was saying, um, I interviewed a guy the other day who's got this amazing, um, these Tunisian sauces, like a shakshuka and a tomato sauce. And he's from Tunisia. And um, 
I was interviewing his wife and partner in the business. And, you know, I was like, take us to like, you know, the kitchen in Tunisia. And it was really like this picture of like the mom and the aunties and the grandmother. And they go to the farmer's market every day because there's a farmer's market every day. And they're really in the kitchen and cooking and they're putting the love into it. And there's the smells and all this. And so Muhammad, you know, comes to America and he recreates that experience in these sauces because that's his memory and mm. his like experience with food. Right. And he wants to bring that wherever he goes. And so it sort of dawned on me that, you know, I can, cause I sometimes say like, even my kids, I'm like, I'm the cobbler whose kids have no shoes. You know, they go through the lunch line and then I'm like, can you please take a vegetable? Like I'm your, I'm your mom. Like <laughs> set a good example. But, um, but it's really that, modeling and the experience. So like I always say, you know, my family ate together on the dinner table every night growing up, but I don't remember, I don't remember any conversations we ever had. It was, but I do remember that experience. And I think that's why I've recreated that with my own children is that, mm. you know, I want them to have that experience of sitting around the dinner table. And I think that's what happened with the lunch program. So anyway, we, we ended up moving across the country to California. My husband at the time was diagnosed with cancer. And so then our healing journey went like through the roof and wow. um, we moved away from stress and just to, to get, you know, alternative treatment, a different way of life. And so it's now it's been six years out here and I still was trying to change the school lunches. And when my kids landed at this little nature-based school and the, the lunches didn't really seem aligned with the nature based uh, philosophy of the school. So I ended up, long story short, sort of becoming the snack lady and liaison to the lunch lady. And then halfway through the year, took over the whole lunch program. But I think, again, going back to experience, what I started to create was a snack experience that outshined the lunch experience. So I would go to the farmer's market and bring back anything cool that I could find and make like soups and um, zoodles, or I'd bring back a prickly little chestnut and put a sign out and say like, can you guess what this is? And just engaging the kids in conversation, mm -hmm. having them taste test things and doing beat kvass shots with the high schoolers and, um, you know, just getting them to engage in it. And so then as I took over the lunch program and with the snack, you know, it used to be like, I remember them like running down and before I took it over, it was like ripping open what do they call rice cakes and running off with a rice cake or whatever. It was just like, grab a snack and go. But when it, be, when the kids started to get engaged and there was conversation around it and tasting things and laughter, and that's when they started to hang around and it became mm. an experience. And then when I took over the lunch program, we just, you know, really tried to create this beautiful experience where the kids and the community all sat down together. They could smell the deliciousness emanating from the, the kitchen, uh, kitchen or the school kitchen. And they knew all their lunch leaders by name and by face. And we would engage and serve them and tell them, you know, at snack, what we were having for lunch and get them excited and then explain like the nutrient density of the food and where it was from. And we bring farmers in to have lunch with them and talk to them and we bring the parents in. So it's really about creating an experience. And I think that's why we created the Lunch Leader Training Academy, because I don't think any school is going to change by just dropping off food at the school and saying, you know, somebody serve it up. It's going to take yeah. that engagement every day because we've gotten to this point where we're so disengaged and disconnected that it takes that daily engagement and that trust with a, 
a friendly leader that can say, you know, hey, try this and check this out. And this is good for your brain. And, you know, and just creating that conversation. So anyway, it's a it's a work. It's a there's a lot of work to be done. Um, And certainly I'm at a small private school where I had more. That's the Manzanita uh, school. Yeah. So there's an, an ability to to do more than a public school where you're you've got government subsidies to, yeah. to be up against and stuff. But I think we're at a breaking point in this world where people have to start thinking with their hearts a little bit more than the bottom line, because we're really not doing ourselves any favors if we're just pushing our literally pushing our children into the medical system with every bite that yeah. they eat. And um, you mentioned the, the blood glucose levels and we did a whole um, citizen science project. Actually, Justin um, Nault was the one who helped fund that, he and his dad, and um, Clovis Culture. I'm so, so grateful for them, but we were able to put continuous glucose monitors on children and staff and parents as really an educational tool wow. just to provide the feedback to show that our lunches were not spiking their blood glucose levels and then to give them the opportunity to go and eat whatever and just observe as you know what what happens when you eat like we had a a high schooler came up to me and said gosh Hillary I ate a big BLT on sourdough for lunch with bacon lettuce tomato mayonnaise all stuff and my blood glucose level was totally fine and then I went home and I had six gummy bears that night or gummy worms and it shot through the roof So just that awareness, no, right? No, not aware, to, right? Yeah, yeah not to say he's never going to eat a gummy worm again, but, you know, and a lot of people don't stop at six, right? They have like yeah. 20 or, and it might be a three-year-old as opposed to a 16-year-old. So um, I just think education and experience is the way that we slowly empower people. That's a good point with the, with the experience because it really is about, you know, good food and having that social connection has been mm-hmm. such a deep-rooted thing in our species right i mean since since the dawn of time we've eaten together and i think that's such an inextricable part question i have is i mean like i grew up i'm eastern european and i certainly grew up around like home cooking and you know a lot of traditional stuff where like you said with the turkish guy or whatever um, i forget what what culture tunisian Tunisian, Tunisian, yeah you know, where it's like, okay, you know, the women are going out to the market every day and there's only something fresh. And I remember doing that as a kid with my grandma, you know, we would just go to the market every day. There was some market and you always get fresh food and you grow up around that. But the problem is with society, it's just like, I feel it's like, when the hell do you have time? (laughs) I know. I mean, you're a talented cook, obviously. So, you know, your shit, but you know, like for the average bear, or let's say these kids that are growing up with iPads already at the age of like five and everything's automated and everything, you know, it's, how do you convey? DoorDash. Yeah, DoorDash, right, or Uber Eats. I mean, how do you convey this idea that, hey, you know, you should spend two hours on your lunch, you know, or you should, it's okay to devote like six hours of the day to cooking an awesome dinner with a bunch of friends, you know, like how these old school values and a lot of the traditions that we like I was watching this documentary and now they're trying to basically get information from all of these like old grandmas in like Italy, you know, they're all like a yeah. hundred years old and they're trying to get their information before they die because yeah, like I was trying to do that. nobody's thing. doing that anymore. You yeah. know? So it's like, how do you, I don't know. How do you convey that 
Because the experience well, is you're conveying the value for sure. But then how do you get them to adopt like, okay, you can do this at home too, like cook, you can devote time to food and creating it for yourself, not just enjoying it, but just actually you're the creator of these experiences. How do you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I, when I came to LA, my book had just released literally like the week before or the week after I got here, I guess. And um, I all of a sudden was from like, you know, the small town of Massachusetts to LA, which is like this giant melting pot of people from around the world. And everybody that I would show my book to that was from another country would say, wow, like this is how we ate growing up and we were never sick. And so that's when I got that bug of I wanted to interview every elder that I could find uh, and capture that information. And um, so whenever I would hear an accent, I would immediately engage in conversation. And I met a woman at the butcher shop in Santa Monica who was like, you know, four feet tall. She's tiny little French woman and she was buying her bones and she was going to go make bone broth. So of course I was like, ah, and we became friends. And um, I interviewed her several times. She actually just passed away this year, which is so sad, but she lived a great, great life. And um, she told me, she said uh, that, cause I asked the same question, like how can we change? How can we make this change and get these kids to understand? And she said, you know, she said, you can't dismiss the fact that there are so many single working moms right now that just are trying to hold it together. Like even in France, things are starting to change. They're Mm. not, you know, they're blowing through lunch. They're no longer taking those big long lunches that we all dream of having. And so she was really realistic about that. Um, And so, but she also told me, she said to remember that simplicity is gourmet. That was like her, I'm like, oh, it's got to be like my tagline. That's That's like, it's a golden one. I know. And then she, when she was um, towards the end of her life, just, you know, back in March or so, I was talking to her and was talking about the screens and all of the technology and how hard that is as a mom to manage that. Like now we not only have to manage the food, but now we're managing screens and I don't know if you've seen Social Dilemma that movie but that's like I've heard know, of that. yeah I haven't like, seen it yet it's mm-hmm. just like holy shnikes it's like, not about you know. the people who initially started Facebook or whatever yep yeah mm-hmm. I mean it's just when you you know it's ha- you know it's true like you know how much how addicting it all is but then when you see the movie it's just like it's run so deep with artificial intelligence and just like you know there's just the algorithms just like everything's designed to engage your children deeper and deeper and deeper and you into every moment of every day like we are the um you know we're what's for sale our time so she was just like I don't know how that's gonna change and I said well what about the food do I keep like because I feel like sometimes I'm just spinning my wheels like is anyone gonna wake up you know and she's like you have to stay with that you have to keep fighting for that because that is what is so foundational and fundamental to, you know, the human experience. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I forge on and, and I think again, it's with my own children, even I worry like, Oh, are they going to ever come back to all the things that I've taught them? And as a parent, you kind of have to, every parent who's got older kids say, say usually that they do come back around, but it's sort of that, like, I'm in that uncertainty, like, are they going to, I hope so. But, you know, like last night I was making a black bean soup, um, I had a, a vegetarian friend coming over, so I didn't put bone broth in it. And my son came up and I was like, oh, I just want to add like, you know, our bone broth or like some bacon grease or something to this. And he's like, yeah, it just definitely tastes better with bone broth. And I was like, great, you know, because I'm like, are they ever going to like, 
you know, learn how to make bones. It was just a little bit like, okay, he's he's like, he knows, you know. So um, not to say that you can't make a beautiful, delicious vegetarian soup, but, you know, all the things that I'm infusing into them, I hope will come back around. And, and, and I, you know, for me, I have to trust a little bit. Like I think I've tried and drill it into them so much because I'm so worried that they're going to go down the wrong path or get sick, but ultimately you don't have control fully over, you know, I have all my triplets are almost 17 this month, which is like crazy. I can't even believe that, but I have to trust that I've done the best that I can and that they always have me as a resource and that, um, you know, they'll find their way. Um, because it's, it's a, it's an interesting time because every corner they turn around, it's convenience and sugar and, Mm. um, and unhealthy ingredients and life is busy. And when you're 18, 19, 20, 25, you're not thinking about your health, but I guess maybe more and more I'm seeing younger and younger kids, um, struggle with gut issues and yeah. you know, 54% of our children with a chronic disease right now. So I think they will have to wake up earlier. Hmm. You know, I just wish I could prevent it, but sometimes our biggest lessons come from learning the hard way. You know, what do you think has been the hardest thing for you with all this? And what did you learn from it so far? I think, Oh gosh, I think one of the hardest things is um, it can be a real lonely road. Like hmm. I was reading or listening like to being something. an entrepreneur doing your your whole thing like yeah i'm just yeah. deciding to be healthy and go yeah. that way because okay. you make regardless of whether you're you're not trying to but i think you just automatically some people get their feathers ruffled because they're maybe not going down that road and so they feel yeah. judged or you know and certainly in the beginning i could have probably been a little bit more uh flexible, but I was so uh, hell bent on getting my family healthy. And I was just like, wow, this is so enlightening. And I just didn't want to go back. But you have all these people that you've been integrated with like family and friends for so many years, and you can't expect that they're going to be right there with you on that train, even though you want them to be, you know, just rocking it, you know, but How do you deal with that? Like, I'm curious, let's say you have to go to some sort of reunion or, or even, I don't know, like a party where you're invited and you're bringing, you know, some stuff. And then there's other people that, you know, obviously let's say they get some Cheetos and whatever in the bowl, like, you know, yeah, and your kids go flying for the Cheetos. Yeah. "Ah, Don't eat that. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard because you don't want to, I mean, okay. I've been in both situations. I've been in a situation like when we were on gaps where I had to be very strict and say, kids, you cannot have anything that anybody else, like mom's bringing stuff that we know we can eat that will help us. And, um, but then, you know, I've also been at situations where I just let it go. I'm just like, just whatever. Like I can't, I can't micromanage every, and at that point, you know, we had been through gaps and healed and, and, um, you know, but I'm always kind of, right around the corner saying, yeah, like maybe just have a few of those or just like one for each hand is my cookie rule. Like don't go crazy. Cause you know, they get a mm-hmm. taste of sugar and sometimes they can just go nuts. So, I mean, it's crazy. I think sugar and like cheese are like both equally as addictive or they light up the brain just like drugs do or, you know, cocaine or something supposedly according to some research. Well, like, cheese will give you at least some, uh, good healthy fats and some yeah and especially if it's raw cheese i love raw cheese and you can get so many good things out of that will fill you up and and satisfy you more than 
uh, yeah, sugar is just, there's no, there's no shut off button literally mm -hmm. in your brain. So you can just keep eating it. And even mm -hmm. things like, um, you know, it's easy to overeat like bread and butter and crackers and things like that, because it's just that like salty, you know, fat yumminess. What do you think the role of like mindfulness is? Cause you're, you're very, you know, like I watch your videos and I see your posts and stuff. You're very like, um, in tune with your senses, you know, especially with the experience you're trying to create. And so, you know, what do you think the role of mindful eating and really kind of being present while you eat? Because I think that's a big factor of it too, in, in healing people's relationship with food. Um, yeah. So that's very, um, very important. I think actually we were just talking about that last night, or I think it was last night that my boys can all come to the table and they want to talk about like gaming stuff for like the yeah. entire conversation. And my daughter and I are sitting there like, okay, okay. Like we finally made a rule. Like you can only talk about it for like three minutes and then we're going to move on and we're all going to talk about it. So, Cause then I can just see my daughter just sitting there just like eating and like daughter's the younger one, right? She's a triplet. So she's set oh, almost she's 17, oh, but she'll okay. just like be eating and not as engaged. And then I'm trying to like manage them. And then it's just like, before we know it, dinner's over. I'm like, what? wait, wait, I just <laughs> all this time, you know, making a beautiful dinner. And I want to sit down and, and I mean, I said that to my kids so many times, like, I want to sit down and enjoy this time with you. This is mm. our time to decompress and have a conversation. I mean, you have those, like, I at least have these visions of having these nice conversations with my kids, but yeah. I've come to realize that sometimes dinner is just what it is, but the fact that we're together and it's home cooked is what's really important. Like yeah. I remember an old babysitter of mine from Trinidad was back. So my kids were like really little and it was melee at the kitchen table and everybody was screaming and this and that. And I was like, you guys, please just sit down. Like I want to have a nice meal. And she was just like, at least it's, at least it's laughter. Like they're having fun. They're enjoying it. Just like, let it go. And yeah. I, I've always remembered that because you can't control it all. Right. But yeah. Um, I mean, I was saying the other night too, like in Italy, the kids sit there for like two hours and listen to the converse, the adult conversations and they're, they're required to like, it's a different pace of life over there, man. It's, yeah. It's I know. Then my 13 year old was like, yeah, because they can drink at 13. <laughs> and I was like, well, we're not going to start that. That's probably part of it. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But like what's going on with my body right now. Yeah. So anyway, I think creating that, um, Again, it's, I think it's that consistent modeling and showing up as best you can as a parent, because we're not perfect. And I've certainly had my doozies of, you know, dinners that didn't go the way I thought they were going to go. So um, yeah. you just keep, uh, I think, like, even in meditation, they say just being aware of your thoughts is the step, you know, a great step to just be like, huh, like, I'm thinking this, that's making me afraid why am I thinking this it's just the thought or you know like kind of yeah. being aware of that so the awareness of what you want to create and what you want to feel like you know that um like if you can know what that feeling is that you want to feel and be in that feeling then I think that also helps create that environment so important you know it's just uh all these things are like I only say it's like the it's the unsexy personal growth answer but it's like you know, it's like brushing your teeth. Like nobody wants to hear like, that's the solution to you all. You know, like just have brush your teeth consistently, yeah. have good oral care habits and you're <laughs> going to save thousands of dollars. But, right. uh, you know, those are the boring things that we have to do every day, but these things well, have been timeless. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
Yeah. And it's, it's a practice, you know, you don't, I think another thing is that people just want instant gratification. And I, I can promise anybody that if they take the time to build their confidence in the kitchen and practice, I mean, I did not grow up learning to cook. I got bitten by the bug because of health issues and then was like, had the aha moment and was curious about it. And I was, I'm a creative person. So cooking sort of became my creative outlet when I had kids and couldn't, I was painting furniture and stuff before, but um, you just, you just decide to start and you just get in there, whatever level you're at, and you just buy the best quality ingredients you can afford and you just have at it. And I think there's so much pressure with like, well, there's just so much information, right? So there's like more cooking magazines and cooking shows and blogs that you can read and you can get tripped up with all of that. And really it, I go back to simplicity as gourmet, like real food just doesn't take much of anything to taste good. And you don't have mm. to have this award-winning five-star meal. I mean, sometimes our dinners are like eggs and avocado and a few slices of tomato. You know, it's mm. just like, this is nutrient dense, inexpensive. We don't have a lot of time. This is what we're having, you know? Yeah. So I just urge any of your listeners to just really take that, make that commitment and decide to practice, you know, just like you decide to be more mindful or meditate or practice at sports or want to read more books. It's like, it's something you have to kind of make a commitment to and, but the rewards are immeasurable. I mean, I can't, I cannot stress enough because we have been down the cancer path and infertility and eczema and epilepsy that when you don't have your health, you have nothing really. Yeah. And you spend all your time and money chasing health and you lose all these years and fun moments that you hope, you know, that's what I really hope with these children in school is that I want them to just be able to go and live their lives and pursue their dreams and not have to worry about being sick yeah. at age 20. You know, I mean, so I can't even tell you the number of people that I know of cancer in their forties and who have died of cancer. And so, you know, it was just like my grandfather was the only one that I knew growing up who had lung cancer and died at 74, but he was a pipe, smoked a pipe and, and his wife smoked. And so, you know, it was kind of chalked up to um, smoking and secondhand smoke or whatnot, but no, I didn't know anybody who had cancer. Hmm. And so, um, and then once you're in the medical system, you're in the medical system, you know, it's really hard. We, with my um, husband, we, we didn't, we didn't run right into traditional treatment. We really rebuilt his immune system because I had learned so much kind of just from the inside out. We just sort of detoxed and everything and got him ready for um, more, you know, he had, did end up having radiation, but it's just, it's just such a bummer. You know, it's such a bummer to have to be when you're in the prime of your life and you should be running around enjoying your kids mm. to be hit with that frying pan in the head to the head and just like, wow, now I really have to wake up and figure this all out. And now I'm sick and I don't know how to cook and I don't know what to eat. And I don't know who my resources are. And I, my doctor says that diet doesn't matter, but you know, my gut's telling me that it does matter and my gut is leaky and I don't, you know, so it's just like endless rabbit hole to go down to try and heal. So if you can take that one step of really just the foundation of real food and getting that into your kids as early as possible. And like you said, you're not born craving Doritos. Like my little fifth child would like eat liver and these little like dried fish. And, you know, it's more of our 
project like, oh, they're not going to like that because that's organ meat or whatever, you know. But again, if you look at traditional cultures, that was such a big part just a hundred years ago, you know, and even still in places around the world, it's such a priority. And I hope it's coming back here in America. But the, the nutrient density and the value of that really has to come back to the main conversation and the dinner table. Do you have any rules about like when you cook or when you go shopping, any principles that you would hear by, like, if you were to tell people a few things that are very important to remember, obviously there's, you know, a lot of considerations for everything, but if you were to pick out some things to kind of really emphasize just in a general way, when people go shopping, when they go preparing their food, any principles that are just good to go by? Yeah, I would say, especially when going out to eat, try and avoid I just try and get like some clean proteins and some uh, vegetables if you can. And then ask, it's really hard because a lot of stuff is cooked again in the vegetable oils. A lot of soybean oil is used. Yeah. What do you do Um, in those cases? Like, let's say you go to a restaurant and you're with your friends. I mean, I used to take a little vial of like dressing or something. Yeah. Yeah, Vial of olive oil or something. Yeah. And you can do that. And and also um, actually we have these little salt shakers from Redmond Real Salt that I love because you can take those and put good salt. Yeah. Right. So um, I would say ask them if they can cook it in butter or olive oil. Mm. And because most of them will have that. I mean, even if the olive oil might be cut with another oil. I mean, again, it's really hard to navigate and it's, it's the, it's the, the way that restaurants survive. It's too bad, but I've had, I mean, we even helped to open a restaurant in um, Massachusetts because of that reason. We, my, um, the woman who helped introduce me or introduced me to the Weston Price Foundation, she still got um, Woodsill Table back there and now she's got a Mexican restaurant, another one in, in um, Boston Harbor. And they're all nutrient dense. She bought a farm that she raises the animals and stuff. But there just aren't that many restaurants that are that conscientious about the oils. And it ends up being about the bottom line, which is, again, too, too bad. So mm-hmm. keeping in mind that when you go out and sometimes maybe you have to let it go. But um, I think GMOs are also a hidden um, thing that people don't really realize. Like glyphosate is I just was listening to I think it was Zach Bush who was saying we're on our second generation of glyphosate babies. So imagine like the next third generation, we're going to see some real problems. And so people being aware of uh, glyphosate and trying to get organic as much as possible, like it really is an investment. The work of Jeffrey Smith, who's the um, Institute for Responsible Technology, I think that's what it is, but he's the, he's all about GMOs. And and I just think not enough people know about that. It's sort of mm-hmm. like it was Cheerios, I think are the number one um food with the or the highest amount of glyphosate in them and that's what our babies wow, are really? eating you know like, like the first baby like pick up your cherry that's crazy so it's just disrupting us again on the cellular level so it's really it's unfortunate i wish you could just drink a can of coke and drop dead because then no one would do it but yeah you know we have to if people could visualize uh our human species as integrated as part of nature and not separate from nature and so sometimes we like we're you know like fighting for the rainforest or the soil health or, or whatnot. And so you take such good care of something in nature, the animal welfare and all of this, but we don't take care of ourselves. Hmm. And if we really could unzip us and see how miraculous we are, like there's just like everything. And another French elder that I interviewed 
was like, Oh God, her story was amazing. And just like so much hardship. And, um, and she was just, she's like in her seventies, late seventies. And she was thanking, like, she's like, Hillary, I thank my eyes for being able to see all the beautiful colors and everything around me, my ears for being able to hear. And, and then she's like in my heart for beating every single moment of every day without me ever really acknowledging it. And like, you know, giving it gratitude. And then she's like, cry, I'm crying. She's crying. She's like my feet for walking me through this life. And this, you know, like just, I think that if we had that certain amount of gratitude for how miraculous we are and that we get this one and only life and this one and only body as far as we know. So your body, I say to the kids at school, like your body really is your temple. And, you know, there's nothing more special than taking care of it. And I think when you when you do feel good, I think most people don't know what it's like, feels like to feel good, but when you feel good and you have energy and you're out and about, it's like such a gift. Yeah. It's just, and it's something that I think. It's amazing how much goes into that present moment, just creating yeah. that sense of no pain, no, nothing to worry about, just to walk around without any, yeah. without anything, without any trouble. You know, it's, it's, there's a Zen idea of like how when things are working, you don't notice them. Yeah. You know, like right. the eye, the, the lens of your eye, you don't notice that you have a lens of your eye until you have a cataract and then there's yeah. something wrong with it, you know? So it's just interesting how all of that work just literally for the sensation of nothing to be yeah. just free in your body is it's crazy how much work it goes. It's into. amazing. And the fact that we like make babies that like a human is growing yeah, inside of wild. us and I mean, to think like that what goes cells, it's like into that yeah right and how much you know so to for for this younger generation of um kids i also want them to understand that they have an opportunity to rebalance and and prepare for that that moment when they are carrying a child or preconception and then you know while carrying a child and postpartum but that it's so important because when that baby goes through the birth canal that is when they swallow a big gulp of bacteria that ultimately is their, that's their first inoculation of their microbiome. Yeah. So, you know, moms today, their microbiomes, including me, you know, my microbiome was not nearly as diverse and rich as my great grandmother's. And so we're passing along really compromised bacteria and imbalanced bacteria. And these children are born in a toxic world. And um, like when my cookbook came out, I think it was 287 toxins were in the average cord blood. Oh yeah. So, yeah. You know, and then, and then there's like all these things like, you know, um, vaccine day one of life, you know, you don't have to breastfeed, get the baby on the formula. Oh, that formula doesn't work. Put them on soy formula. Like it's just, and as a new mom, like I was that new mom that just trusted what my doctor said Yeah. and I didn't. And so I want these young kids to really, you know, make Andy Wakefield and I'm not anti-vax. I, I believe we have to be more responsible about vaccines and, and more knowledgeable about them. I wish I was more knowledgeable, but he said, yeah. make decisions based on knowledge, not ignorance. Yeah. And so just empower yourself with the information and then you can make a decision that you feel good about. But for yeah. me, I made decisions based on what my doctor said. And then I had to feel bad about them later because I wish that I hadn't done it the way I'd done. It. I had these three little tiny preemies, you know, that probably weren't ready for all those, um, vaccinations well, yes. the schedule now is just absurd. it's insane i mean it's like it's 200 insane. something vaccines i mean you can't possibly it's... tell me that putting that amount of chemicals in a kid no, is what insane. a year old i mean it's just 
So, and you know, and now I, I just urge people to, I think bodily sovereignty is one of those, like I noticed one of your uh, questions was like, um, I forget what it was, but anyway, I was thinking bodily sovereignty for me is something that I feel like we have to maintain and we should have a right to choose what we put in our body, whether it's with food or injections. Um, it, it just, it's so, it's so crucial mm -hmm. and, um, and be really educated before you put anything in your body, you know, because in, once it's in, it doesn't, you can't get it out. So, um, or it's, it's a lot harder to get out. Or it's a lot harder. Sure. Like, oh my gosh, people that are, I mean, we went through major detoxes and stuff and it's intense, right? It's, it's like, I just, you know, just think like there couldn't be any more toxins to come out. There's just more toxins. So crazy how the body can store it all. I mean, it's incredible. Oh my gosh. Intelligent. Yeah. And that actually is, is really hopeful too, is that the body is super intelligent and it wants to be in homeostasis. Yeah. So you think of all the people that have been incredibly sick and healed completely. So, you know, do not be discouraged if you are at that moment of like, wow, I don't need to know how to get back. But, you, you know, just start, just start learning and you can. I really encourage people to not just throw in the towel or just be like, oh, God, I'm 50 and I'm 150 pounds overweight. You have a lot of life left to live, you know. And so it's the healing journey can be a blip on your radar. It can be you know, it may seem like two years or one year or six months seems like a long time, but in your whole, the whole grand scheme of things, it's nothing. Mm. So even if you have a, a child that you need to heal, I encourage people to take, um, take the time. And if it means slowing down in our busy lives, then try and do that. And, and moms and dads have to be really gentle with themselves because there's a lot of pressure to, I mean, I'm one of those moms that's like, go, 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 go. And I've had to learn that lesson to, to just slow down and enjoy the moment because <laughs> yeah. it goes by fast. So life is long and life is short. Yeah. What the do they say? Time. The days are long and the years are short. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Like as when you have those young babies, you're just like, Oh, is this day ever going to get it? Are they ever going to go to bed? But all of a sudden it's like 17 years have passed and you're like, wait, how'd that happen? You know? So um, yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a gift, right? That we're all here and we're here for such a short, short, short time, really. So um, to make the best of it and, and being, um, you know, like practice, I think really practicing forgiveness and being in gratitude are things that are just also being conscious of that when um, like my daughter has a sign in her room or a painting that my fellow lunch leader painted says one happiness. And I end my little interviews with that. Like it, it means, you know, no matter what happens in your day, there's got to be at least one happiness, like, you know, that yeah. I have feet or something good, you know, to, a roof over my head. Right. Yeah. So, um, so trying to just remind ourselves that it's just some, you know, you got to ride the wave. Anything coming up for you with, with this uh, school of lunch program? Are you looking to expand it or are you, pretty much scaling it or what's, what's the plan? Yeah. So, I mean, so we, we had to pivot when schools went virtual. So yeah. we created, we I really wanted the kids to still have access to the farmers and the fresh food and to be empowered in the kitchen. I thought it's a perfect time for children to start to learn to cook. And because parents are trying to now do like manage everything from 
working from home and doing all the household duties to managing online school and cooking three meals a day. And so we developed the Lunchbox, which is a, a delivery service where we have like beautiful farm fresh foods and five easy meals that kids can, and that's exactly what they need in the box. Um, and then we have a soul box coming, which is school of lunch box, which is a meal plan delivery service. Again, we're really trying to storytell about the farmers behind the food and bring that, um, that connection in the, into the home so that people can really vote with their dollar and make, uh, informed decisions and feel good about them. Mm -hmm. And then school of lunch, our platform is where we will continue with um, webinars and the lunch leader training Academy. So we did a lunch leader training Academy uh, a year and a half ago out here last two summers ago in Topanga, where we had uh, people from all over the country come out and you don't have to aspire to be a lunch lady in your kid's school, but you can want to just learn more about, um, traditional methods of cooking and ancestral wisdom and nature connection and, and how to cook and, um, and how to shop a farmer's market and whatnot and go to a butcher shop, all that stuff. So we did that. And, um, it was really beautiful. People came and whether they worked in a YMCA or a principal of a school in Chicago came, um, people starting a preschool, trying to think it's like seems so long ago now, but people, you know, all walks of life coming to want to be able to go back into their local food systems and make a difference in whatever capacity their, you know, passion drives them to. So we hope to be able to offer that online soon. And then hopefully really soon, we hope to be able to be back in person because that's more magical, but yeah. we'll Can't create the experience. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then people can clearly like go to the farms and stuff and see, and interact a little bit easier, but, um, but yeah, so we hope to really grow that membership and, and the community where people can like, so we had three or four lunch leaders come, um, to be trained from Chicago. So the idea is that they, you know, they were all separate and when they go back now they know each other so they can mm. potentially join up and have some collective buying power for certain, you know, whether it's a school or an event or whatnot, just share resources. So really building a community of, uh, passionate, people to, to I, I believe change is going to happen from the, the ground up and that we That's really cool. are the change. And I don't think, um, especially with this presidential election, like I just don't think like things are going to magically shift. I think we have to be the change makers as, as individuals and to not look outside for someone else to do it. It's really yeah. going to start from our tiny little decisions in our tiny little homes and, um, and just keep showing up for, yourself and your family and humanity and doing the right thing. If you want a healthy community, you have to start with healthy families. It's so true. And then leading by example, you know, like I think, you know, like I said, it can be a lonely road, but I think a lot of people then end up turning to you uh, for advice because if you yeah. just walk your walk and you, your kids haven't been sick and, you know, they're like, oh, maybe she's doing something right, you know, so um, and, and just being open and willing to share. And that's what I love about the Weston Price Foundation, too, is they have chapter leaders all around the world. So you can, you know, move from Massachusetts to L.A. and call your chapter leader and they'll set you up with your real food resources. And so that's always just a nice uh, place to start if you're looking for your sources. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Final question for you. What are you most grateful for today? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm grateful for um, I'm grateful for my health. 
I really am so grateful for my health and my, my children's health every day for that and the opportunity to do something that I love and to really make a difference in, in people's lives. I, I've kind of flipped a switch. You know, sometimes I'm like, I don't know, I feel like I'm selling myself, right? I'm never wanting to like push people to like buy something. I never, I feel like I've like given away information for like a decade. So I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm always like give, give, give. But, um, but I've looked, I look at it now as this, like, I feel like we're at this turning point too, where people are waking up to like, wow, I have an immune system and I have this, you know, what does it mean to have an immune system? And what is your immune system? And how do I take care of it? And so I feel like it's my passion I'm able to follow my passion and really it's an opportunity to really help a lot of people. And um, somebody said to me the other day, like, just, you know, put your antenna up and those who are ready to hear it will hear it. You know, Mm -hmm. not everybody's going to jump on board with your, you know, on your ship or whatever. I always get those things wrong, but, but those who are ready will. And that's where I was when I had, you know, I had all these babies and this scratchy baby. I was like, ah, and then I just like, it was right there. That information was there. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I've never looked back, you know, now mm-hmm. it's been like 15, 13 years. And so I know there's a lot of people that are um, still not ready, but when they're ready, you know, I hope to be a friendly uh, welcoming place that people can find community and empowerment to make change. That's awesome. Love yeah. It. Well, thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. This is a blast. Yeah, uh, no, it's um, always so fun to talk to like-minded people, right? Yeah. I'm glad Just, Justin introduced us. I'm, yeah. I uh, like what you're up to. And what part of uh, the country are you in again? I'm in LA. LA, okay. Yeah. yeah. So born and raised in New Hampshire and the Massachusetts for like 18 years and then landed out here. And um, I know my, my husband at the time, actually, we're not together anymore, but um he, when he came out first and he's like, you're going to love it out here. You're going to think you've died and gone to heaven. Cause in it's LA. just like, you know, <laughs> such a foodie culture and so right, many yeah. like, you know, open minds and, um, and just of course the sunshine. And that's actually one other thing I would like to stress is that I don't think wellness at all is just all about food. I think yeah. it's about, you know, sunshine and healthy water and community and nature connection. There's just so much more that, um, and I think any elder would tell you that, that, it's not just about what you put in your mouth and people can get very rigid about that. But I think um, there's nothing better than sitting down and breaking bread with people and laughter mm. and that feeling that you feel when uh, it's just a magical moment. Right. Yeah. So for people to, to let go of the perfection of things and just, you know, it works for thousands of years and you see all the disease we have is because we're breaking from those traditional yeah. patterns. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. We think we're so much more advanced, but a lot of those, you look at some of the technology, I mean, food is technology, really. If you, if you look at the chemical interaction of food and, you know, yeah. all these uh, elders and traditions, they knew how to work with food and, I know, and how to they were so you know, wise. ferment it and how to use it in a certain way. I mean, it's just like, it's fascinating. It's a different kind of technology. And so, yeah, well, and it was innate for them. It was, yeah. it was passed down and I don't know how they knew what they knew. You know, it's like the. I wondered that too. Like, how the hell do you figure all that shit out? I mean, it's, you know, sure, yeah, it's like been how do thousands you, of years, but that's a like, lot of trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Or like that, you know, the Native Americans like eat 
they'd kill a moose and eat the adrenal gland. They'd chop up the adrenal glands and give to every single person in the tribe so that they would prevent scurvy. Wow. And so, but it's like, how do you figure that one out? You know, but they knew that the, I mean, if you watch a tiger kill, you know, and I don't know what they kill an antelope or what, I don't know, but you know, they go for the kill, they go right for the organ meats. You know, they know that where the most nutrient dense part of the animal is. So maybe humans after watching all of that uh, observed and realized, and then, and then also people will say too, like if they have liver, often people will say, or, um, you know, even like I've, I had a friend who's a vegetarian or who was a vegan for a long time. And then she had an egg in a smoothie and instantly felt like that nutrition. So I think that they were way more in tune with uh, how everything affected their, their body and their strength. Cause they depended on their strength so much, right. To go out and work all day. And yeah, they're paying um, attention all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, another story at the the school, this guy came and he spoke, he was working with the Bushmen in Botswana and they were like chasing after these zebra. And, um, and then all of a sudden it was like nighttime and they were like in the middle of nowhere wow. and, and the zebra had run off or whatever. And, and now all of a sudden the guy was like, he was not a Bushman in Botswana. He was visiting and he was just like, shoot, how are we going to get back? Like we're in the middle of the dark. And the, the head guy just like literally closed his eyes and pointed his hand and they walked for like 20 minutes and they landed right back at the Jeep. Wow. And then the That's women crazy. too, they'd have like babies on their back all spread out all over, like picking whatever they were foraging. And, and he'd say, where are the, where the tigers or where the, whatever predator they were worried about. And they, the women all would point and knew exactly where the, the danger was. Wow. That's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and this culture, is like, they're, they're raising people to, to be in tune with their intuition. Yeah. But I, so I think we're, we're really way more connected to uh, the land and the animals and the plants than we, than we realize we've just, yeah. we were, we always have been, but we're just so disconnected. And I think probably there's so much static electricity, right? That's like disrupting everything with like, and now especially like 5G is coming in. I'm like, oh man, like I just, I just see with my kids, like the amount of electronics is like really hard to watch as a mom. But I, you know, other than taking it all away, which is not the answer either, (laughs) but I don't know what the answer is with that. But anyway, I guess just the awareness, right? And that, yeah you know, that we are, uh, I believe connected and, and that the the quantum level, I think that's what is going to be maybe one of the next buzzwords, hopefully that, that like, you know, when you, you were always emanating, uh, energy, right? Like there's frequencies, frequencies, information. So people are reading that subconsciously they're taking that in. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that I think that will come. I don't think people are in that level of, I mean, a lot of people are, but not, not the average person is thinking along those lines, but um, we respond. Like, you know, when you see a food that looks delicious and your mouth salivates or you see somebody that you love and you get all like fluttery. And so your, your body responds to fear, to everything. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's super interesting, right? Isn't it an exciting time to, to live right now with all the things that are going on and happening and changing in the world? It's it's a very interesting to see where it's all going to go. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to put it is exciting. 
because yeah. it can be like daunting <laughs> or, For you know, sure. but there's but, the Terminator version. <laughs> you know, yeah. Are we gonna but what good is that going to do? I guess to, I know. And I, I worry about that sometimes, but uh, I do think that the light will shine and the light will um, prevail and that all of us people that are really, um, I don't know. I just think it's a moment and to stay in the hope is what we need to do because people need people like us to provide that hope and that roadmap to, um, you know, freedom from having to depend on bigger systems and just to be more self-sufficient and find the happiness within and with our small little families. And because really, you know, I've learned with my own kids, like I take that like two minutes to be goofy with my daughter make a little video makes a world of difference. It's like, why am I not doing that every day? You know, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't have time right now, you know, but I have to be, again, it's that awareness of it. Like Hillary, just do it. Like it's so worth it. It makes such a difference in everybody's day, you know? Yeah. So I guess awareness would be our theme, right? <laughs> That's the eternal lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and uh, I think, Right now, it's it's especially important for people to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Patient and not cordial, but um, I think there's a lot of dehumanization going on. Like, it's just like, you know, you're this way, you're that way, or even your friend, you're like, I can't believe you voted this way, or you believe that, or whatever. Yeah. Or even with <laughs> diets, like you're a vegan, you're a carnivore, whatever. It's like, but we're all human. Yeah. You know, so just getting back, it doesn't matter really. Just connect with people on different, you know, about different things if that's something that you don't agree on and just realize that you still all have, you know, we still bleed red blood still bleed and we're red. all, <laughs> yeah, or bleed red. Yeah. Yeah. And even my son, who's like, you know, I feel like on the computer all day long, I'm like, you're, you're, he's like, mom, this is a different generation. Like we have, He'd probably not be happy that I'm saying this, but he's just like, we're, you know, we're in front of computers and da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, but you're a human being. Like you have to have sunlight and you have to have movement and yeah, have you to have water. Evolution yet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The computer will not fix that for you. So anyway, I could go on and on clearly. So, but, um, but yeah, it's an interesting time and exciting. So I feel blessed to have the opportunity to at least not be sitting at home thinking like, you know, there's nothing to do because I know there's work to be done and, and to be in that joyful, it's like, you know, making a joyful noise and spreading the love. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my friend Hillary. You know, food is much more than about the quality. It's about being present. It's about being with the other people that you love, about experiencing tradition and understanding why, you know, certain things happen the way they did. Food is a window into the soul of a culture and the decisions and values of that culture. It's a way to connect to the natural world through your senses. Uh, it's medicine. You know, food is complex chemistry that goes into our body and interacts with our genes. How we relate to food is one of the most important aspects of our health. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's inspired you to live a healthier life. If you want to reach out and check out Hillary, uh, she's at School of Lunch on Instagram, or you can get the Heal Your Gut Cookbook. That's at uh, www.thehealyourgutcookbook.com. 
And let's not forget our unknown quote. If you know the author of this quote, please let me know. So if I ever use it again, I can cite appropriately. If you are more fortunate than others, it is better to build a longer table than a taller fence. You know, the sad truth is that there's a lot of people and kids, too many kids, that go hungry every day. Hundreds and thousands of them. And we are very, very fortunate to be able to have at least one more meal a day. If you're listening to this show, you probably have at least one or two warm meals a day. And that that is a gift. That right there, that as simple as that is, uh, you know, that's that's huge for a lot of people, millions of people every day. And that that's a sad fact. So make sure you enjoy it. Make sure you eat mindfully. Make sure you appreciate what you have and, and you really make it the most possible. Don't rush through your lunch. Don't rush through your dinner with your family. Um, you know, really hang on to that experience because you never get it back. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in on Next week, we're going to do a little Transformation Tuesday. I'm going to be looking at the entertainment industry. Man, we've got some interesting stuff coming up. we will be interviewing uh, Dane Reese next week. He's an entertainment professional. He's been doing it about 16 years. He's coaching people. He's very successful in the entertainment industry. And we're going to be looking at entrepreneurship, business. If you are an artist, if you're creative, if you're looking to maybe get into that world, it's going to be a very interesting interview, so you don't want to miss it. And so we're going to dive into all that stuff next week. Thank you so much for being here, guys. We'll see you. Until then, remember, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.